They seek him here. They seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? That damned elusive Pimpernel. Presenting Marius Goring, star of the motion picture Red Shoes, as Baroness Orpsey's immortal character, the Scarlet Pimpernel. The Adventures of the Scarlet Pimpernel, starring Marius Goring as Sir Percy Blakeney. It happened by pure chance, one evening in late spring. Tony Dewhurst and I were strolling in Hyde Park. What's that? With a pistol shot. Behind those bushes. Come on. There he is, straight ahead. Pistol in his hand. Bleeding from his breast. Oh, it looks like suicide, the poor devil. Oh, Lord. It's Peter Milford. You know him? Yes, we were at Oxford together. I'm taking you still breathing. Yes. Here, let's have a closer look at that wound. Missed the heart by an inch or more. Uh, Probably missed the lung, too. May not be very serious after all. Now, we'd better call for help. No, no, don't do that. Fewer people who know about this, the better. Yeah, that's all right. He's coming too, I think. Ah, uh, hello, Peter. Who's... It's me, Tony Dewhurst. Oh, I want to die. Nonsense, you're not going to die. I want to die. He's fainted again. We've got to get him away from here. Well, I'll stay with him and try and staunch the wound. See if you can find a carriage and we'll take him to my room. Right. I shall be back. He got him home and summoned a surgeon. He dressed the wound, pronounced him out of danger. Next morning, he was well enough for us to be able to talk. I... I suppose I should be grateful. If you hadn't come along when you did... You'd uh... probably have lain there two or three hours and then come to have your own accord. You're not a very good shot, you know. Yes, I'm not very good at anything, I'm afraid. Oh, but why, Peter? Why did you do it? I... I had my reason. Well, I want to tell us the whole story. We may be able to help. No one can help. I... When you've got yourself in as big a mess as I have, there's only one way out. Oh, nonsense. Nothing's ever so bad it can't be put right. Yes, that's easy to say. Why not let us be the judges? Well, oh, if you insist. As you probably know, Tony, my father died two years ago. Yes, I, I'd heard about that. I, I'm sorry. Oh, he'd been ill for a long time. It wasn't unexpected. I succeeded, of course, to his title in the States. 
Lord Milthorpe. Country seat in Sunset, townhouse in St. James's. All very impressive. From your tone, I gather there's a butt. A large butt. It costs money to keep up a facade. Father had never been a good manager. The estates were never very profitable. And during his illness, they'd gone from bad to worse. When I had straightened things out, I found that all I'd inherited was a pile of debts and mortgages. Ah, at this stage, the usual practice for an impecunious young peer is to marry a wealthy heiress. You no, know, I, I just couldn't do that. <laughs> Why not? There are plenty of baths. <laughs> well, I was in love, you see. Still am, as a matter of fact. Oh, and she has no money at all. Not to hate me. Mm. Difficult. More than difficult, impossible. Anyway, I came up to London to talk the financial situation over with my lawyers. I hoped they might have some solution, but they didn't. <laughs> There's petty fuckers, they never do. I managed to raise enough money to clear some of the more pressing debts. Then I went back home to try to put the estates on a more profitable basis. Then, about a fortnight ago, the main mortgage on Milpop Grains became due. And the man who holds it wouldn't renew and threatened to foreclose. So you came to London once more? Yes. I needed 8,000 pounds. Oh, what is that? <laughs> An old friend of father's lent me four, but I saw no prospect of getting the rest. Then, one evening, I was at dinner. There was a French lady present, a refugee from the Revolution. Oh, who? Madame la Comtesse du Fresne. Well, you know her, by any chance? Uh, yes, we have met once or twice. The talk got round to gambling. The Countess mentioned a new private club that had recently opened in Pall Mall. The proprietor was a friend of hers, Sir Basil North. She offered to arrange an introduction for any of us who wished. So you went along to this club? Yes, the night before last. I, I did well for the first couple of hours. Then I began to lose. The game went on all night and through yesterday. By six o'clock, I was ruined. Uh, just how completely? I not only lost the four thousand, but... I'd signed notes of hand for another three. Mm, to this man, or Yes. And then? Well, then he tossed me from my cab fare home. One guinea. I even lost that. So I walked into the park and... Well, you know the rest. Not a very pretty story, is it? Not a particularly uncommon one, I'm afraid. Suppose your aim had been a bit better. What about this young lady you're so much in love with? Well, she'd have got over it, I dare say. Mm, they don't always, you know. Well, suppose this mortgage of yours were paid. Well, what's the use of discussing it? Supposing it were. Well, it has given me a breathing space. The, the estates are paying better now. The season looks like being a good one. And hmm. You may be able to survive the crisis, you think? Get rid of this burden of debt? With good management and a little luck, it's possible. Tony, can we raise 8,000 pounds? Oh, I imagine we can. Oh, I wouldn't Why not? Well, I mean, why should you involve yourself? Well, we've already done that, my dear fellow. And once we start a thing, we usually see it through, don't we, Tony? Oh, yes. Yes, but all the same. Anyway, I'm interested to know more about this club. And interested to know more about Sir Basil North. Yeah, so am I. But you don't think... Now, now, you've done far too much talking as it is. What you need is rest. Good sleep. We'll leave you a while. Come on, Tony. Now, don't worry, Peter. Everything's going to be all right. Well, what do you make of it, Blakeney? Oh, same old story, I'm afraid. Never heard of this fellow, North? Oh, vaguely, but what I have heard, I haven't liked. The thing I can't understand is how he comes to be sponsored by a woman like La Comtesse du Frey. Oh, of course. <laughs> you brought her out of France, didn't you? Yes, about two years ago. Let's see. What, what were the circumstances? Oh, usual story of family chateau in the Loire, cats and pillage by the mob, several servants killed, husband disappeared, believed murdered, wife got clear... Managed to reach Paris disguised as a peasant, 
sought refuge with friends who got in touch with us. I picked her up, brought her through the escape route, and delivered her here. What sort of woman would you say she is? Oh, about suspicion. Well, you're sure of that? I'd almost take my life on it. Perhaps we're wrong about North after all. Perhaps the fellow just had bad luck. Or perhaps she doesn't realize. There's only one way to find out. Oh. I shall give myself the pleasure of calling on the counties this afternoon. When Tony returned that evening, he seemed more mystified than ever. I can't make it out, Danny, if I can. Well, what did you find out? Oh, nothing very positive, I'm afraid. Naturally, I had to be very guarded. But I did manage to get the conversation around to gambling in general and to North in particular. Oh, how did she react? She spoke very highly of him. I said they were good friends. Well, that seems to settle that. I don't think it does, really. You see, there was something about her manner, a sort of vague uneasiness. When I hinted I'd like to meet North and join his club, she did her best to put me off. Oh, did she give any reason for it? Oh, she made some rather thin excuse about his membership this being full at the moment. And then how did it change the conversation? I, I couldn't help feeling she was most unhappy and more than a little ashamed about the whole thing. Oh, perhaps it's her only way of earning money. What? Introducing people to North's club on a sort of commission basis, you mean? Yes. Possible, I dare say, but I can't believe she's the type who'd stoop to that. Besides, she didn't come from France empty-handed, you know. There was a, there was a diamond necklace, I remember, another jewel she'd been able to save from the mob. Enough to keep her in reasonable comfort for life. Well, then, if it's not money, he must have some kind of hold over her. Oh, what, what sort of hold? Well, without knowing a great deal more, I wouldn't even try to guess. But I mean to find out. Huh. First by meeting the Countess, and then through her, North. Yes, but she'll make some excuse to you as she did to me. Not at all. She owes you a debt of gratitude because you brought her to the safety of England. Uh-huh. As far as she's aware, she owes me nothing. If she's heard of me at all, it is a foolish fop with more money than is good for him. In short, the perfect time for a discreetly private gambling club. Exactly. It was easy enough to get an introduction to the Countess, and having gained that, equally easy to achieve my main purpose. <laughs> That evening at the Unicorn Club, I presented the note from the Countess. A lackey took it away, and a few moments later, a man came towards me, all affability. He was a big man with small, shifty eyes that never looked quite directly at you. It was dawn when I arrived home. Tony was dozing in a chair, but woke as soon as I came in, eager for news. How did you get on, Percy? Did you meet him? What's he like? What, what sort of a night? Uh, one eh? question at a time, my dear fellow. Yes, I did meet him. He's like a great fat slug and I wouldn't trust him an inch. That's what sort of a night I've had. Well, count this when you've the leisure. You won all this? Yep. Oh, how much? Eight thousand guineas, I dare say. Oh, you must have been in luck. <laughs> I assure you, luck played no part in it whatsoever. What? You mean that... My dear Tony... When I find my opponents deliberately manipulating the cards, I reserve the right to do the same myself. So you out-cheated them, eh? Let's say outwitted them or outmaneuvered them. <laughs> You're amazing. I'd have given anything to pin that. It must have been amusing. North didn't find it, so. He was the heaviest loser. Ah. Well, that's the sort of place it is, isn't it? And that's the sort of people they are. I don't wonder Peter was cleaned out. He never had a chance. The lamb led to the slaughter. Well, what now? We face this fellow North, accuse him, and demand Peter's money back on threat of exposure. Oh, well, that wouldn't get us anywhere. Anyway, he's got his money back. It'd merely be my word against anyone else's. Besides, it wouldn't settle the thing we really want to know. What, the hold that North has over the countess, you mean? Well, exactly. Well, then you're satisfied he has some hold on it? Well, it's obvious. 
How do you propose discovering what it is? He lets slip during the evening that he's to call on her this afternoon. Now, by an odd chance, one of her footmen has had a sudden illness. Uh, however, rather than leave his mistress in the lurch, he's arranged with a cousin, uh, who happens to be out of the situation at the moment, very conveniently, to take his place for no. the uh, Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> What's the time, Jenny? At ten to six. And I'm supposed to be on duty at 6.30. I'll have to fly. Scoring returns as the Scarlet Pimpernel. It was a long chance I'd taken, of course. But still, many a long chance has succeeded. North duly arrived at the Countess's house about four o'clock. I opened the door to him and showed him to where she sat waiting in the drawing room. I had barely left the room before he began. That's a pretty trick you served on me yesterday, I must say. A, a pretty trick? I do not understand. Sending that fellow Blakeney to me. But he said he wanted to play. He was tired of his own club. <laughs> the truth known, they probably blackballed him. Blackballed? What is that, please? Excluded, debarred. But why? Why? Because he's a shopper, that's why. The cleverest cheat I've seen in years. The Percy Blakeney? Yes. But that is absurd. Then how do you account for the fact that he went away with 8,000 guineas of my money? I cannot believe well, it. Well, it's true, I tell you. I am sorry, but but he seems so well, so simple and naive. How was I to know? It's your job to know, madam. I, I can only repeat, I am sorry. Being sorry won't recover my eight thousand guineas, will it? I'm warning you. One more mistake like that, and you'll regret it. Doctor Basil, I implore you. When I think of all those poor people I send to you, I beg of you, please release me. It cannot go on much longer. You'll go on just as long as I want you to go on. Or I may consider it my duty to get in touch with a certain French gentleman named Chauvelin, no. a member of the Committee of Public Safety. Oh, no. I've no doubt he'd be most interested to learn about a certain Jean Cardot, a peasant serving a sentence of five years in the fortress of Lyon. No, 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 no. You wouldn't. You would not betray him. You play fair with me, madam. I'll play fair with you. I'll do anything. Anything at all. Then don't you forget it. And remember this, too. Dear lady, no more errors of judgment. No more blatantness, you understand? Yes, I understand. A 
What are we going to do, Percy? Oh, give me leave and I'll challenge the swine to a duel. Now, that wouldn't solve anything. It would solve everything for the countries. She is not the only one we have to consider. You mean Peter Milford? There are others too, Tony. I'll be making inquiries. George Warrington, for instance, and Sir Toby Guest. Both of them paupers in Newgate Prison. Johnny Turnbull disappeared a month ago and he hasn't been seen since. Young Lord Tunster, married only a year, killed while hunting. An accident, they say. Every one of these people and more besides, many more. Ruined by this fellow North. I appreciate how you feel, but... Well, we can't hope to avenge them all, you know. I don't think he's so much of vengeance as of reparation. You mean, make him repay the money he's cheated from his victims? Every penny. Of course, it won't bring back those who are dead, but at least it'll be some consolation to their dependents. Oh, it's a noble plan, Blakeney, but, but how are we going to do it? Well, I don't know. We may need a third to help us. Who? Jean Cordot. The man in prison in Lyon, you mean? Yes. Yeah, but who is he? A peasant, so North says. A poacher. So North says. Anyhow, we'll soon know the truth about him. You intend to approach the canteen? Oh, no. That'd be most unwise. Well, then how? Tomorrow morning, Tony, you and I leave for France. We arrived in Lyon in the guise of merchants from Paris. Neither of us knew the city well, and it took us several days of guarded inquiries to gather the information we sought. But at last, we were ready to act. Point one, Jean Cordeaux is a good conduct prisoner. Good conduct prisoners are allowed out of the fortress every day under armed escort to work in the vegetable fields. Point two, the main road to Paris run beside these vegetable fields. Point three, the armed escort is always the same man, a certain Henri Demois, who spends his evenings drinking in a tavern called the White Hart. Ergo, win Demois and Cordeaux is ours. And to win Demois? We will observe the age-old precept that every man has his price. <laughs> And so that evening in the White Hart, warder Henri Demoine found his wine was free, paid for from the bulging purses of two affable and obviously rich merchants from Paris. They were charming company, full of understanding and sympathy. And by the third bottle, Demoine was talking to them as freely as to old friends. Uh, dog's life. That's what it is, it isn't it? Ah, dog's life. Is that all? Poor wages and bad food and discipline. Ah. Morning, noon, and night, nothing but discipline. Boy ah. might as well be a prisoner. I wonder you stay there, my friend. You don't have to. It's a job. They're not so easy to come by these days. I should think an intelligent man like yourself would be better off in a little business of his own. Ah. Strange you should say that. I have always wanted to be a pork butcher. Oh, an admirable calling, I'm sure. Matter of fact, there happens to be a place for sale at the moment. Oh. Good position. Close by the cathedral. Why give anything to buy it? Then why don't you? A little matter of money, citizen. Mean you haven't enough put by? I mean, I haven't any put by. How much would this business cost? Two thousand francs. Is that all? It may sound a small sum to you, citizen. Oh, suppose my friend and I were to give you two thousand francs. Then suppose the heavens were to open. Oh, no, no, we're serious. In return for such a sum, would you be prepared to do after more? For two thousand francs, I would do anything short of murder. You mean that? Do I look like a man who speaks for the sake of hearing his voice? Good. You are the prisoner, one Jean Cordeaux. What about him? Uh, he will be working in the fields tomorrow, close by the road to Paris. Yes. I mean, uh, very close. It could be so arranged. And uh, suppose two horsemen were to appear on the road at 11 o'clock, leading a third riderless horse? Yes. And suppose as they came opposite Cordeaux, you were to trip and fall by accident, and he were to seize his chance and leap onto the spare horse, and all the three men were to gallop off together? 
What would you do? I should. I ask him, of course. Uh, you are not a very good shot, I think. Lamentable, monsieur. Ah. And then? Then I should run to the jail and report his escape. Would that take uh, long? I am not a very good runner, either. Five minutes, perhaps six. And another four to five minutes to saddle horses for the pursuit. No, Ten no. minutes in all. No. Yes, quite enough. Um, for 2,000 francs. A bargain, my friend. A bargain, monsieur. <laughs> Man worked without a hitch. Four days later, Tony and I and the man who called himself Jean Cordeau were in London. And the following morning, Sir Basil Morf went strolling alone in St. James's Park. Good morning, Sir Basil. I'm afraid you have the advantage of me, sir. Oh, I hope you may recognize me. My name's Anthony Dewhurst. You, uh, you mean Lord Dewhurst? I am. Oh, do forgive me, please. This is a very great pleasure, Lord. I trust you'll find it so. Uh, would you care for a drive, Sir Battle? A drive? Yes, I have a carriage in the mouth. I'm honored and deeply obliged, Lord. I, I'm afraid. I think you should come, Sir Battle. I will most willingly, but you see, I... I have a pistol in my pocket, Sir Battle. An hour later, the carriage dropped outside an isolated cottage in Richmond. Still under the menace of Tony's pistol, North descended. The door of the cottage opened, and he came in. The first person he saw was me. You, Blakeney! What the devil's the meaning of this? Is this some sort of idiotic joke? You underwrite my sense of humor, Sir Basil. We've had you brought here to meet an old friend. You, Cordell. You are surprised to see me, monsieur? But I, I, I thought that... You thought I was in Lyon jail? Yes, I... So I was. Till these two gentlemen were kind enough to rescue me. I... I see. Well, I, I, I'm very glad. Glad, monsieur? Well, of course, I, I mean to say, I... Uh, suppose they have done with all this nonsense? I I don't understand. Uh, monsieur Cordell knows everything. Everything? About your little gambling den and all the things that happened there, and the I... fortunes that have been lost and the lives that have been ruined. And above all, of the way in which you've terrorized and blackmailed the Comtesse du friend. Very clever of you, monsieur, to use me as your weapon. Very effective, I'm sure. Blakeney, this is a nice collection of swords you have. Do you mind if I use one? Not at all, my dear fellow. Make sure you clean it afterwards. Come on, Tony. Let's go. Oh, by all means. No, 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 wait. You're not going to leave me alone with him, are you? I'm sure you two must have lots to talk about. But you don't understand him. He'll, he'll kill me. Not all at once. Just bit by bit. Oh, it may take days or even weeks. We shan't be disturbed. It's very quiet here. Make me, for God's sake, I, I'll do anything. Uh, anything. Anything at all, I swear it. Oh, very well. These are my terms. First, a signed and detailed confession. Agreed. Second, a humble and public apology to the Countess. Agreed. Third, as some slight recompense for the mental anguish you've caused her, 50,000 pounds. 50,000 pounds? Well, I agreed. And fourth, full compensation to the last penny to every one of your victims or to their dependents. That, that's impossible. Why? Well, it'll break me. Uh, that's what we mean to do, North. Break you completely. Uh, I, I won't do it. Please yourself. Should we go, Tony? Oh, All right, I, I'll, I'll make a bargain yeah, with you. Interested in bargains. The terms are full recompense to the last penny. Very well. I agree. Good. Let's all go back to town, shall we? We've a busy day ahead. You, North, to carry out the terms of your agreement. Lord Dewhurst and I to make sure that you do it. And I? And you, monsieur, to enjoy the bliss of the union with that charming lady, your wife, Madame la Comtesse Dufresne. 
Marius Goring returns as the Scarlet Pimpernel. composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. <laughs> 